And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Today we are speaking on guiding your people through a storm. And now, here is Pastor Sexton. Good morning. Thank you for joining me. I hope this proves to be a profitable morning and a profitable session. We're going to pray and get started in just a moment. And then we're going to talk about a most a serious subject. And uh, a subject that not everybody will agree with but one that is very necessary. But let's have prayer, may we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord God, for moving and working in our lives. We understand that there are things that must go on in our hearts and minds to prepare us for what has been prepared for us to do. Help us to be yielded submissive in this time of preparation. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen. I have some questions for you. Would you be willing one of the weeks just to talk through us to prepare to preach a book of the Bible? I'd love to do that and uh, looking forward to it. So may God guide us and help us at the appropriate moment. And uh, can we expect to get worse before it gets better? Absolutely. We're going to talk about that today. And how do you balance being political in the pulpit? I'd like to talk about that. I think, just to give an early answer, that uh, we should only be political as it is something that confronts our Christianity. And... Uh, Neither political party of the major political parties has everything to be desirable for the ministry. But one political party does have a better national platform that adheres more with the conservative values that we have, and we should talk about that. Let me have a green pen. All right. I want to make sure that I'm remembering here. And... Uh, what would you say to church members that claim everything is going on right now is proof that the church will not be raptured out before the tribulation? Well, this is not the tribulation. <laughs> Reread what the Word of God says <clears throat> about the tribulation. We're not in it. And there are many things to happen, and there are all kinds of things that will be done as far as the Jews are concerned. You've described dangerous times coming. Are you recommending that your people be armed? Uh, I am recommending always that we always be lawful. And in this state, yes, we can be armed and we can have carry permits and that type of thing. I think for our own self-protection, I have made certain preparations and... Um, you don't need to talk about it in media. But the fact of the matter is, uh, some of that is for your personal safety and protection of your own home. But guns are not going to save us. 
God is going to save us. So I, I want to get that straight. Now, I have a little narrative I'm going to try to talk about before we begin. And then I have two videos I want to show you. One is eight minutes long and one is nine minutes long. And they fit this narrative. <clears throat> but I want to warn you that you may not agree with the narrative. You may think that's far removed from what's going to happen. I sent an email to you on <clears throat> guiding your people through a storm. What will you do when America explodes? What will you do? The truth of the matter is we were dealing with the subject of uh, teaching others and pastoring your church through the pulpit ministry. Remember, you have the power of the pulpit. And I talked quite a deal about, uh, made quite a deal about how you approach the pulpit. A sacred work is being done. A sacred work is about to be accomplished. If the Bible truly is the Word of God and you're preaching and teaching the Word of God, if you're preaching the Bible, God is speaking through His Word to people. And the answers are in the book. But you have to have it in your heart and have things settled in your heart. And um, you need to speak with conviction. I gave a little speech yesterday briefly about singing, gospel singing, Christian music. And so much of it depends on song selection. May I say that um, we have given so much attention to, to narrative and, and to presentation that we haven't given enough. Hey, Frank, how you doing, buddy? Uh, you're back from Hawaii? You came back all grown up, buddy. God bless. Good to see you. But anyway, uh, so much attention is given to presentation and how a thing is presented, and not enough attention is given to content. I'm going to tell you in a moment that people are going to be standing up screaming in our churches. Prepare for it. People are going to be standing up screaming in our churches. Give me the Bible. Tell me what the Word of God says. It's going to become that serious. I have never been an alarmist. I have never been considered anything near a prophecy preacher. I think I have an understanding of a basic understanding of eschatology and things to come. I've taught it. I've taught through the book of the Revelation many times. And uh, I hope it's improved each time. And we believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. But we've been looking for the Lord to move and work. We've been praying for the coming revival. What is the coming revival? If the revival comes and it's coming, it will be preceded by a great disruption. And I'm trying to encourage you to be ready for the great disruption. There's a great disruption coming to prepare hearts of people to receive the revival. Remember that there is a parallel world. You and I 
are thinking most often about one side of that, one, one part of that. But from the very beginning, Satan, as a liar, started telling things that weren't true and building this narrative of the parallel world. You, you won't die if you sin. God knows that you're going to be like him. And uh, his big work is a work of deception. And I remind you that when God is finished with him, the last thing God says is he calls him a deceiver, the one that deceived him and uh, them. And he deceived them and God uh, did away with him in that deception. But there's a parallel world. You're running in one side of it and Satan is operating a kingdom of darkness in the other side. So one world is a world of light and one world is a world of darkness. Now the most dangerous thing in that world of darkness is when Satan has transformed himself into an angel of light. And it appears that that dark world is the light. So that's why we say we live in an age of confusion. As a matter of fact, some people, philosophical people, call it the age of compounded confusion. So where can people get the truth? From the pillar and ground of the truth. From your ministry. From the fact that you're speaking the truth in love. Every message should be examined. What test should it pass? Is there, is there meaning in it? Is it for a decision, a verdict, as Campbell Morgan called it? Is there a verdict to be achieved, to be reached in that message? Preachers can become so bad at just giving information. Pastors can become so bad at just giving information, they're not seeking after a verdict. Does your message have a verdict? Does your message always honor Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ? I heard uh, Hyman Appleman say one time in a revival meeting, and I was carrying him around in a car and talking to him about things during the revival meeting. He says, when I'm praying about a message to preach, and I'm balancing back and forth between what message. All of us have been there. I always land on the message that has the most Christ in it. The most Christ in it. I mean, you may be telling people the most magnificent thing humanly possible about the Bible and the Bible narrative and that type of thing, but is Jesus Christ in your message? Are you bringing people to the point of Dependence upon Him. Is it a message that has a big God or a little God? I'm sorry to say this, but many times pastors preach messages that have a big pastor and a little God. They're the hero of their own sermon. What you did, what you accomplished. But is it a big God or a little God? Uh, Robert Dick Wilson was a a noted theologian and professor at Princeton Seminary 
And uh, he came to hear one of his students one day in chapel. It wasn't his habit to go to chapel, <clears throat> every chapel. And he came to <clears throat> the student after he preached and he said, I won't be back to hear you if you come back, if you're asked to speak on chapel. And he said, <clears throat> the student said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, I just came to see if you were a little God preacher or a big God preacher. And I found out today that you're a big God preacher. That the way you spoke of God, even the way you spoke about God, was the big God, the great God. And I, I, when I read that, I thought, you know, are all of my messages about the greatness of God, is God great in this? You know, we, we get accused many times, especially those of us who are evangelical preachers, whatever you call yourself. I'm a, I'm a fundamental independent Baptist preacher, and I only use that term if I can define fundamentalism. Fundamentalism to me is synonymous with biblical Christianity. You ought to write that down because one of these days you're going to have to answer that to some critic <clears throat> because there's so much in the media against fundamentalism I don't mind telling anybody I am a fundamental, independent Baptist preacher. But I like to be able to define fundamentalism as being synonymous with biblical Christianity. Uh, I believe in personal holiness and modesty and these things that you hear a lot about. But we begin with God. And every personal conviction we have should grow out of a desire to live a holy life. But is your, is your message about a great God? Is it thoroughly biblical? I don't know if this is a habit. <clears throat> I think if it is a habit, it's a good habit. But I told you, my mother-in-law said, always take a, your subject from a Bible text and then explain the Bible text. My, my hero in preaching when I started out in 1967 was W.A. Criswell. And Criswell preach through the Bible. I'm not recommending you have to do that. Chriswell preach without notes. I'm not recommending you, ha you, you have to do that. I do think when you train your mind and use your memory that it'll help you to be able to, to uh, keep the attention of people looking people in the face and talking to people instead of at people, talking with people. And for me, <clears throat> excuse me, is that time in Tennessee, <coughs> seasons changing. But for me, preaching is not changing who I am or how I speak. It's an extension of how I speak with more energy, more passion, more earnestness because I'm talking about the most serious subject on the face of the earth. But I don't change who I am. I don't change my voice or vocal tones. And uh, it's like I'm talking to you, but it's enlarged as far as more passionate and uh, maybe more forceful and some things more deliberate, but I hope it's authentic and genuine. But the point is, is it biblical? And I, I've made it a practice to bring people to the Word of God. Now I'm going to let you in a little secret. Don't tell on me, Okay. But when I first started out, I, I memorized all the scripture. 
Every verse I would use, I quoted. And my pastor, Brother Hagin, said, that's nice. That's very nice. But people don't have enough knowledge of the Bible to know whether you're quoting a poem or the scriptures. And I never forgot he said that. And he said, take people to the word of God. So if you've heard me preach, you haven't missed anything if you haven't, but if you've heard me preach, you've heard me say things like this. I'd like you to take the word of God, open the word of God, and we read the word of God. And when I'm preaching, I don't make comments on the scripture before I've read the scripture because I want the Bible to speak for itself. And uh, you read as much as you need to read. The Bible is given to us in words, in sentences, and in paragraphs. So when you start preaching the thing, you, you would think about a, a biblical paragraph and the, the meaning that's in that paragraph. And uh, some of this is so juvenile for some of you, you're probably bored with it. But I'm trying to lay a little groundwork here. Because you have such power in that pulpit. You're guiding people to God. You're bringing people to a confrontation with God and what God says. Now, what are you going to do about it? The gospel invitation for me is a part of the sermon. It's not something we add on at the end of the sermon. It is a part of the sermon. It's just as much a part of the message as your introduction. Because remember, you're preaching for a verdict. You want people to be convinced this is something they ought to do. This is what God says. And you're bringing people to the point of responding. Not every message is the same. Every message should have the gospel in it. They said uh, Harry Ironside was very, very good at no matter what subject he dealt with. And he was a Bible preacher teaching through the Bible. I hope you have his books. And uh, you can't find them today. In a, in a new place, but you can find them from the old Loazo printers, Harry Ironside, and it's very devotional, very devotional. Don't expect some great, some great statement, but it will warm your heart, and he gets to the point. But he had a way in preaching to bring things to a conclusion and in just a few minutes getting the gospel in, making sure people had the gospel and they heard the gospel. And uh, there's not ways that you, you try to imagine to do that. But when you're preaching about Jesus, it's not difficult to get the gospel in. That's who he is and why he came. And so we're actually guiding the church and helping the church and pastoring the church and leading the church uh, through the pulpit. And I hope, that, uh, I hope this is meaningful and helpful to you. But let's go back to this. There's a parallel world. Let's imagine you had a train track and you drew two, two, two rails. One rail, one rail is the rail of light, what God is doing, the rail of truth, what God is doing. But alongside it, Satan builds a parallel world. And it's really darkness. And it can be, it can be more formally educated than the people speaking in the world of light. Uh, you know, there's a difference between, there's a world of difference between a formally educated person and a truly intelligent person. And many times you find people that are truly intelligent who've had the opportunity to have formal education. But there are many people who have not had the opportunity to get a formal education, but are extremely intelligent. 
Some of the wisest people I've ever met in my life were some older people who never had the opportunity to go to school but knew God and knew God's Word. And they had something to say. And you had to have enough sense to listen to people like that. I can tell you this. I've been preaching 53 years. I'm 72 years old. You should gasp for breath when you hear me say that because you don't have any idea that you know, I see it. I see it. But, but I'm going to tell you, I regret. Not that I haven't loved older people. I love them. I love old people and love children. Place a great emphasis on that. But I, I would think that I could have spent more time in the living rooms or on the front porches talking to people because I've never had an instance when I had the funeral of someone, just had a funeral of a lady 97 years old. She was in the first church I pastored. And I thought about all these things at her funeral and I, I talked about a, a number of the things. But I thought she had more to say than I had time to listen. And I could have listened more. And uh, I want to recommend that to you. But there's a parallel world. You're living in it. You're in the world, but not of the world. Uh, go through. Some of you have got the mind where you could memorize the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17. You actually could memorize it. And it, it would be a, a goal to set for yourself. Just take a few verses each day until you've memorized the entire 17th chapter of John. If you've got a New Testament with you, you've got it to memorize. But you're going to find that so many precious things as Jesus praying. How would you like to go into a room and listen to Jesus pray? How, how would you like to listen to him? And in his prayer, you find him praying for us. In his prayer, you're, you're, you're seeing things about uh, that, that he is God's gift to us, God the Son, who became a man without ceasing to be God. But we are God's gift to him. Every person who's born again, who's been purchased by the blood of Christ, is given by God the Father to God the Son. You are a gift to Jesus. By the way, when you start dealing with Christian people and you become hard and mean about the matter, you need to think that's one of God's children that was made a gift to Christ. So be careful. You're, you're dealing with one of his gifts to him. And, uh, and also, I want you to understand the union that we have with him. The, the Old Testament, the covenant, old covenant between God and man is not like the New Testament. The way of salvation is plain. The way of salvation is all, always through faith in Christ. But in the New Testament, and I'm, I'm a dispensationalist, but not as strong as some other people in dispensation or dispensational views. But... In Christ, in the New Testament, the covenant, the new covenant or New Testament is between God the Father and God the Son that all, all who God will give to the Son, He will keep. And the covenant can't be broken between it's God the Father and God the Son and sealed by God the Holy Spirit. That's a precious thing. We're in the everlasting covenant and everlasting because it's everlasting. So remember, you're in the world, but not of the world. So what does that mean? It means you're living in the parallel world where the prince and power of the air, the devil, is the ruler of this world. You're living in it. But you're living in the kingdom of light. You've been delivered, translated 
from the kingdom of darkness into the power of light and the kingdom of light. And what happens, you're bumping into that world all the time. Now that world cannot be saved unless someone in our world, when we're not of this world, speaks to the person of this world about the gospel. Now, occasionally there's the great colliding of worlds. That's what I'm going to talk to you about in just a minute. I'm trying to watch the time so I have enough time for it. The, the great colliding of worlds. So darkness appears to be light and the light sometimes appears to be darkness. But we're praying for the coming revival and the coming revival will not come until there's a great disruption. There has to be this great disruption. And how we respond in this great disruption, and it's coming, maybe sooner than you think. It's rumbling in this world now. It's rumbling, but it's going to, it's going to erupt like a volcano any moment. The disruption. And how we respond to that disruption is going to determine how God will use us in this revival. So, start preparing your church and prepare your own heart with truth. Get the series of messages and teachings you need for basic Christianity that you can say to people, this is what every Christian needs to know. These are things every Christian needs to be involved in. And we must learn how to teach and preach the Bible. All these churches are doing all this entertaining People are going to be in those meetings and stand up and scream, Stop it! Stop it! We get that from the kingdom of darkness. Please tell us what God says in His Word. And I had James talk a little bit about regulative ministry and worship that you're doing only what you find in the Bible that God approves for worship. And so... Please see that where God has placed the emphasis is where we must place the emphasis. So in simplicity and godly sincerity. And train your people in the way Jesus Christ trained his disciples. Study Bruce's book on, on the training of the twelve. It's an old book. It's been out for a century. But get yourself a copy of it. And if you don't read it all thoroughly, at least become familiar with how Jesus trained his disciples and what he trained them to do. And then ask yourself, have I taught my people to pray? Have I taught my people to witness? Have I taught my people how to understand the Bible? Have I taught my people what world evangelism and missions happens to be? Our mission? We're actually on a mission with God. We're on his mission. Evangelism is not man's idea. Uh, world evangelism and mission came in the heart of God. So do you have the mind of Christ for that? And uh, when long-standing things are beginning to be toppled, and they are, they're going to be toppled, what will remain? Remember who uh, does the will of God abides forever. Now, I'm not boring you, I'm helping you. I want you to listen to something. I'm going to give you, I think uh, Ryan's about eight, nine minutes. First, Sidney Powell in an interview with Lou Dobbs. 
And I want them to see it just like they're seeing me. And I want you to listen to Sydney Powell. Sydney Powell is a Christian. She's a woman who prays. She is an attorney uh, for the President of the United States. Now, the President knew these things were going to happen. Now, you're going to say, well, I don't know. Maybe Joe Biden's been elected President. I I'm not even discussing that. But I'm saying, what if evidence is given? What if evidence is given that the election was full of fraud and they've been caught in it, the media's been complicit, and they're guilty, and Donald Trump is in the White House for four more years. Our streets in many places are going to be filled with bedlam. Uh, horrible things are going to happen. Rebellion, anarchy. I think it can all be put down. We don't need to fear. God had given us a spirit of fear. But fear has been used as a narrative to muzzle us. You're pastoring a church full of people most likely that are more frightened than they've ever been. Where is the truth teller? If this takes place, if this is the disruption, if it is the disruption, what are you prepared to tell your people about what liveth and abideth forever that cannot be shaken? You're God's man. You should have God's message. I just want you to listen to uh, what uh, Sydney, this attorney, says. And, uh, and finally she says, we're going to release the Kraken. <laughs> and uh, I hadn't heard that maybe ever, but I know in a long time, the sea monster, you know, that all sailors fear. But to Ryan, do you have it to begin? Good. So gentlemen, would you please be patient and just listen to Lou Dobbs interview this woman who works for the president. Breaking news now, Dominion voting systems say they categorically deny any and all of President Trump's claims that their voting machines caused any voter fraud in key swing states or electoral fraud. But reports contradict that claim. In 2016, a senior executive at Dominion told the Illinois State Board of Elections that it is possible to bypass their election system software. Here's what the vice president of engineering at Dominion at that time, Eric Coomer, told the board during a meeting in good old Cook County. No, we are not allowed to do routine updates without having to go through a recertification effort, um, but we do uh, routinely give guidance on how to best secure systems. And also going back again to the, the, the final um, mitigation against all of this is a, a robust auditing and canvassing process, um, which all of our jurisdictions have implemented. Coomer said no updates can be done without recertification, as you heard. Mr. Coomer's assurances of a secure system, however, are contradicted by the fact that various vendors, election officials, and others reportedly can access the voting machine code without an update being required. And we know that there were updates on those machines a day before the election. 
Well, joining us tonight is Sidney Powell, a member of President Trump's legal team, General Flynn's uh, defense attorney, a great American and prominent uh, appellate lawyer. Great to have you with us, Sidney. Uh, let's start with Thank Dominion. You, uh, a, a, a straight out disavowal of uh, any uh, claim uh, of fraud against the company, its uh, software or machines. Your reaction? Well, I can hardly wait to put forth all the evidence we have collected on Dominion, starting with the fact it was created to produce altered voting results in Venezuela for Hugo Chavez, and then shipped internationally to manipulate votes for purchase in other countries, including this one. It was funded by money from Venezuela and Cuba, and, and China has a role in it also. So if you want to talk about foreign election interference, we certainly have it now. We have staggering statistical evidence. We have staggering testimony from witnesses, including one who was personally in briefings when all of this was discussed and planned, beginning with Hugo Chavez and how it was designed there, and then saw it happening in this country. As soon as the state shut down on election night and stopped counting, those are the states where the most egregious problems occurred. We also need to look at, and we're beginning to collect evidence on the financial interests of some of the governors and secretaries of state who actually bought into the Dominion systems, surprisingly enough. Hunter Biden type graft to line their own pockets by getting a voting machine in that would either make sure their election was successful or they got money for their family from it. Well, that's straightforward. It may take, uh, you're going to have to be quick to, to go through and to produce that investigation and the results of it. Uh, the, December, uh, the December deadlines are approaching uh, for electors and uh, just as we saw in uh, 2000 with Bush v. Gore. Uh, how critical are those deadlines and how urgent does that make your investigation and discovery? Well, for fraud this serious, I think even if the states are stupid enough to go ahead and certify the votes where we know the machines were operating and producing altered election results, if they're stupid enough to do that, then they will be set aside by the fraud also. I mean, we are talking about hundreds of thousands of votes. President Trump won this election in a landslide. It's gonna be irrefutable and we are, patriots are coming forward all every day, all day, faster than we can collect their information with the testimony they're willing to give under oath about how their votes were stolen and how the machines operated. They were updated the night of the election, sometimes after the election. We've got statistical evidence that shows hundreds of thousands of votes being just put in and replicated. It, it's going to be there needs to be a massive criminal investigation, and it's going to affect millions of voters and elections. With these allegations, these charges, is the FBI already carrying out uh, an investigation of these voting companies uh, where their servers are domiciled? And in at least two instances, three instances, uh, we know they're in foreign countries. Uh, tell us where the Justice Department is in all of this. Uh, I wish I knew. I'm not on the inside, so I'm not privy to that information. 
I know that even Democratic senators and Congress people for years have reported problems with this system to the FBI and to the government, and nobody's done a blooming thing about it. The people in the election security part of Department of Homeland Security need to be fired yesterday. They're absolutely ridiculous. Of course, Chris Ray needs to be fired, too, because the only FBI interview of any witness was to intimidate him and try to get him to change his truthful testimony four hours by an anti-Trump FBI agent. They still have politics infecting the FBI instead of just following the law. We are on the precipice of this is essentially a new American revolution. And anybody who wants this country to remain free needs to step up right now. These are federal felonies. Altering a vote or uh, changing a ballot is a federal felony. People need to come forward now and get on the right side of this issue and report the fraud they know existed in Dominion voting systems because that's what it was created to do. It was its sole original purpose. It has been used all over the world to defy the will of people who wanted freedom. Cindy, at the outset of this broadcast, I said that this is the culmination of what has been a, over a four-year effort to overthrow this president, to first deny his candidacy uh, uh, the uh, election, but then uh, to overthrow his presidency. This looks like the effort to, uh, to carry out an end game in the, in the effort against him. Uh, do you concur? Oh, absolutely. And it's, uh, it's been uh, organized and, and conducted with the help of Silicon Valley people, the, the big tech companies, the social media companies, and even the media companies. And I'm going to release the Kraken. Well, good because this is uh, this is this is an extraordinary and uh, and such a dangerous moment in our history. Uh, I really am very concerned uh, for the country. Uh, I am very concerned for all Americans, I, and I have a feeling that most Democrats are first Americans and not Democrats. They have to be as alarmed as any one of us. Cindy, uh, we're glad that you are on the uh, on the on the charge. Uh, to straighten out all of this. It is a, a foul mess, uh, and it is uh, far more sinister than any of us could have imagined, uh, even uh, over the course of the past four years. You get the last word, Sydney. It is indeed a very foul mess. It is farther and wider and deeper than we ever thought, but we are going to go after it, and I am going to expose every one of them. Sydney Powell. Thanks for being with us, and thanks for all that you're doing. Now, gentlemen, I hope you listen to that, and uh, we're back with you, and I, ho I hope you listen to that. I have one more video. I'm just saying to you, there is a parallel world. When it erupts or when it is discovered, when, when there is an explosion of this, when it happens... And in days and weeks to come, where will you be? Where will your people be? What will you have taught them? What resources do you have to give them to help them to stay the course? In other words, uh, it could be that this is the disruption that God gives in preparation for the great revival where people realize they need God, that we have to have the Lord. Now you say, well, this is all happenstance or maybe happen. I, I'm absolutely in agreement with you. 
It could not happen. It could happen. But it's in the works now. And we also know that there's a parallel world. We're, we're living for the King of kings and Lord of lords. We're preaching light and truth. And we know we're combating the prince and power of the air and the darkness of this world. And ultimately, he wants to lead them to the blackness of darkness forever. So, where are you in this? What has God given you to do? Now, I think it's worthwhile for you to watch one more, one more video of a woman who gives the background of what President Trump did two years ago to prepare for this. In a sense, to trap all the media and all these people, their eyes have been on him trying to disrupt him, but he has had a network of people working to trap them in their crime. And uh, this woman, a little different, but I want you to listen to it, and then we'll conclude things in a moment. Hey folks, Human Rights Attorney Lee Dundas here. I want to talk to you today a little bit about a recent declaration of a national emergency by President Trump to deal with the threat of interference in U.S. elections and how this intersects Trump's legal team statements in the last 48 hours on the election uh, irregularities, if you will, and what this all means taken as a whole. So recently, Donald Trump issued an executive order that I was actually not familiar with entitled Imposing Certain Sanctions in the event of foreign interference in a United States election. In that order, he noted that people had the ability to interfere in or undermine public confidence in United States elections. These are direct quotes. This ability included, and I quote again, the unauthorized accessing of election and campaign infrastructure, which was defined to include information and communications technology, as well as systems used by or on behalf of the federal government or a state or local government in managing the election process, which specifically, if you look at the definitions of what this all sort of devolves down to, includes, and I quote again, voter registration databases, voting machines, voting tabulation equipment, and equipment for the secure transmission of election results. Trump further noted, a point I'll come back to later in this little uh, piece, that people had the ability to interfere with elections through, quote, distribution of propaganda and disinformation, end quote. The president went on in later paragraphs of the executive order to state that the, quote, proliferation of digital devices and Internet-based communications has created significant vulnerabilities and magnified the scope and intensity of the threat of foreign interference, and then he opined that such constituted, quote, an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security of the United States, after which he unequivocally concluded, I hereby declare a national emergency to deal with this threat. I repeat, Donald Trump, by way of executive order, said, I hereby declare a national emergency to deal with this threat. How is this threat to be dealt with? Well, within 40 day, uh, sorry, 45 days after the, quote, conclusion of a United States election, an assessment will be conducted to determine whether a person or entity acted on behalf of a foreign government for the purpose of interfering in that election. That assessment shall be delivered by, and I quote, the Director of National Intelligence to the President, as well as, quote, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Treasury, the Secretary of Defense, 
the Attorney General, and the Secretary of Homeland Security. Thereafter, this report, a report will be sent identifying the extent to which any foreign interference that targeted the election infrastructure materially affected the security or integrity of that infrastructure or, or, and I quote again, the tabulation of votes or the timely transmission of election results and further identifying the extent to which such activities materially affected the, quote, security or integrity of the infrastructure through alteration or through straight up, quote, falsification of data. Who runs afoul of this executive order with foreign election interference in our U.S. elections? Any person who engaged in any foreign interference in a U.S. election or, or who was found to have materially assisted, sponsored, or provided financial, material, or technological support for that interference. What happens to these entities who did these bad deeds? All property that is in the United States or later comes within the United States or that later comes within the possession or control of any United States person is blocked. I repeat, the evildoer's property if it is within the control of any sort of purview of the U.S., is blocked. And what that means is such property may not be, quote, transferred, paid, uh, exported, withdrawn, or otherwise dealt in. One of the other scary paragraphs of this executive order allows the Secretary of State or the Treasury Secretary to assess, quote, whether additional sanctions against foreign persons may be appropriate, including proposed sanctions with respect to the largest business entities or, uh, sorry, largest business entities licensed or domiciled in a country whose government authorized, directed, sponsored, or supported election interference, including at least one entity from each of the following sectors, financial services, defense, energy, technology, and transportation, or if inapplicable to that country's largest business entities, sectors of comparable strategic significance to that foreign government. Translation, it allows additional sanctions under this executive order for the United States to go in and hit any foreign country's major sectors and the major businesses in those sectors that contributed to this foul play. So I want to break this order down and I want to break down the timing. Trump declared this state of emergency in 2018, September 12th, 2018, six months after he had a chance to watch the midterm elections play out and determine if there was any funny business going, uh, going on in those elections. Is that a coincidence? I doubt it. Moreover, this executive order is not child's play. Any lawyer who reads this, this uh, order can tell you that. It directs the director of national intelligence to conduct a threat assessment that gets delivered to AG Barr and to Trump and to the secretary of state and to the secretary of defense, who up until last week was Esper and who was let go by Trump. Again, a coincidence? I doubt it. The executive order allows you to impose sanctions on foreign entities who interfered. So let's deconstruct right now this little foreign piece, shall we? According to Bloomberg, Dominion Voting Systems is Canada's largest election system provider, and the company is based in Toronto, Canada. Does that sound like a domestic company or a foreign company? Cytel, according to Forbes, 
was founded in 2001 in Spain, and according to Wikipedia, Cytel grew out of a cryptography research project at the Autonomous University of Barcelona. In Cytel's press release, again, not exactly a domestic-sounding entity, more like a foreign entity, right? In Cytel's own press release, it notes that it continues receiving electoral and industry expert recognition from a variety of organizations, including a company known as Ovum. Ovum's research analyst is Nishant Shah, who lists an affiliation with Global Business Coalition. And guess what, folks? Global Business Coalition had as its founding supporter, you guessed it, George Soros. Cytel's research analyst Shaw is also connected to the Acumen Foundation, on which board George Soros's daughter sits. There's an interview with Texas Congressman Louis Gohmert that if you, haven't, you guys haven't seen, I really suggest you watch. There's also a recent interview with Sidney Powell, day and a half ago, that you should watch. If you haven't caught it, I'm going to give you select quotes that I think are particularly interesting given that we now know we've been in a national emergency that was declared two years ago over foreign election interference by President Trump. Powell said, so if you want to talk about foreign election interference, we certainly have it now. We have staggering statistical evidence. I repeat, she said, we have staggering statistical evidence. And for fraud this serious, I think even if, if the states are stupid enough to certify the votes where we know the machines were operating and producing altered election results. If they are stupid enough to do that, then they will be set aside by the fraud also. And she concluded that interview by reminding people that these are federal felonies. Altering a vote or changing a ballot is a federal felony, end quote. There's an also an interview by Trump attorney Lynn Wood, who is doing a substantial amount of litigation right now in Georgia to ensure the election integrity there. And he said, will I, do I think this will be resolved by the courts? Yes. This is a quote. Yes, but I don't believe it necessarily has to be resolved by the courts before the people in this country fully recognize by the irrefutable evidence that the Joe Biden votes were fraudulent. It will be confirmed by the courts in terms of the illegality of the fraud. He went on to talk about the fact that the Georgia state election may be so alloyed at this point that it is unrecoverable. And in that case, it would probably be set aside by the Georgia courts. And then the Georgia legislature would be weighing in. The last thing that I want to touch on before wrapping this little piece up is something President Trump noted in the first sentence of the executive order. He said that the elections could be altered by the, quote, distribution of propaganda and disinformation. And on that note, Trump's attorney Lynn Wood, coincidentally or not, stated yesterday, let me give you some really good news about CBS, ABC, NBC, CNN, oh boy, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, The Atlantic, you name it. And then he went on to talk about what would occur to those media outlets in relatively short order. Again, is this coincidence? I don't think so, folks. I'm going to end it on the note that he ended it on. This is a, quote, new day in America. I want everybody to feel better about this because it is all going to end good. Justice will be served. And this country will return to being a country of truth. Thank you for watching this. I hope it stirs your interest. But more than that, if it happens... If it really happens, the disruption it's going to cause is going to be sensed all over the country. 
I had a Christian young man who's a medical person say to me yesterday, I really want President Trump to be the president, but if he gets announced as president, this country is going to be in flames because there's people already set to do it. They saw this coming. I'm going to recommend to you that you get, and if you can't afford it, I'll give it to you, but you get my book on the book of Jude, Jude, the little book of Jude, because it's the vestibule of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the hallway leading to the revelation. You need to study it. Everything we're dealing with is in that little book of one chapter. Everything. And in that book, it's the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, the book of Jude. There are three things God says that we're dealing with in this moment. And I want you to see what they are. And if we're going to keep the common salvation, we must earnestly contend for the faith. So that is a Bible study you need. I would suggest that you don't just do it for your own benefit, but you bring your people. It's designed so there's a teacher's guide and a study guide uh, for everyone, and you can do it in your Sunday school for all your people. You say, the question, is this going to get worse before it gets better? Of course it's going to get worse. You know, when you and I say we want revival, what are we saying? I mean, people don't want revival. It's too inconvenient. There has to be a disruption. I believe the great disruption is going to precede the coming revival. And may God help us. And then, uh, should you be political? I'm saying you should not be forward and leading with political things. Political in the pulpit? I am. But I, I only do this in light of the fact that there is a kingdom of light and darkness. There's good and there's evil. And I'm preaching light and preaching darkness. And I sometimes illustrate the darkness with some of these illustrations. There are probably some people in your church who are leaders who need to see both of these videos. One of them has just been out a couple of days. But they need to know what is happening and be prepared. But you know... We need a revival of soul winning and witnessing personal evangelism. People are going to recognize they're in great need and we need to work on this. I heard a, a speech given by Christy Nome, who's the governor of the state of uh, South Dakota. And in this speech, she said, I'm a Christian. And she repeated that later in the speech. She said, I'm a Christian. And she talked about what her attitude needed to be. And I need to keep the right positive attitude. She was dealing with the subject of the COVID-19 and uh, all the scare and spookiness uh, and the control that has been used in this COVID-19. But you know, you can speak that and, and give consideration to people who have been ill and people who have actually died, but that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And so major on the power and the love, and the sound mind. Uh, listen, you're in the place of great usefulness. God has made you a pastor, and pastors are shepherds. Pastors are speaking the truth in love, and for courage, you're speaking the truth in the presence of God. He's with you as you speak to people about Him, and I'm praying for you. How are you going to handle the great disruption? What's really happening? 
Uh, I'm not recommending you change fields. You remain in the ministry. You'd have to take a back seat to any other position in the world if you left the pastorate. So may God use you, but speak the truth in love, be as bold as a lion, and let's get everlastingly at it. The Lord's coming, but people really need Him right now, and you're the person that can tell them about Him. I'm praying for you. Thank you for joining me today. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.